0: Foolish men draw conclusions in week one. That, according to Meemaw, ages ago. And it's just as true today as it was when she said it. Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday, September 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed. High atop and obviously sunburned downtown Nashville, Tennessee. A little bit earlier start time for the live show tonight. We've got a little game between LSU and FSU coming up that we didn't want to overlap with. It's not the NFL, after all. We don't want to interfere with actual college football. But plenty of it happened yesterday, friends. I was in Salt Lake City Thursday night. I came back here in time to go to Tennessee, Virginia yesterday. Full week one reactions. Sunday nights, not that you you should ever miss a show, but Sunday nights are really the ones to lock in for because I don't know that we're going to have the most popular opinions on tonight's show. I find myself thinking some things about what we saw over the past 72 hours that it's safe to say is in the minority. I'm going to talk about Dion. I'm going to talk about Ohio State's offensive struggles. I'm going to talk about Bama looking really good. I'm going to talk about Georgia looking totally lethargic. Got clowns everywhere to call out when it comes to the Ramen Noodle Express, which, contrary to popular belief, won money yesterday. Like, we made money, believe it or not internet would tell you otherwise. We got coaches being questioned left and right. I've got to announce where we're going on the Once Upon a Saturday tour this this Saturday. We're actually going to go to a game on Saturday this week. So yes, plenty of caffeine, plenty to talk about. And they're watching us in Conroe, Texas, Salisbury, Maryland, Cosby, Tennessee, Salt Lake City, Utah can confirm great crowd out there. Like a suspiciously great crowd. A ton of you guys uh, gave us shout outs. So we had posters in the stands at Rice Stadium. So I appreciate that. Um, the week two schedule is, is on actual fire this week. It's amazing. We got all kinds of great matchups. We'll predict them all Tuesday night. We have got a lot to talk about though. That's a paper slammer. Let me do it again. Never done that before. Jesse, Colin, maybe we'll incorporate that into the show. Whew. We got four best bets also. Like I've already moved on four games. So man, we're, we're loaded. Let's lock in. Okay. Where else would I start the show? I didn't see this coming two years ago, but where else would I start the show? Colorado beat TCU yesterday. Let me repeat that for those of you, including myself, who didn't necessarily think this was going to happen. Colorado hung 48, and they beat TCU yesterday. What they didn't do is beat the team that played for a national championship last year. That was one of the more ignorant statements floating around out there in the Twitter sphere, but I'll I'll address that later. I got to talk about winners on this show first. It was interesting to be me Watching this game yesterday, because I 'm someone who who found himself a little bit conflicted. I thought TCU was not only going to win the game, I thought they'd run away with it. I said that like three or four times last week, I was really emphatic about it, pretty embarrassing if you want me to be real. Uh, but that's football, you know things happen, crazy things have happened before, and they'll happen again. so it's not getting the pick wrong here's the problem when they hired Dion at Colorado. I I went so overboard and was so effusive in my excitement and praise of it and for it on this show that people started calling me a homer. People started accusing me of all sorts of things. Some people thought Dion was paying us. I don't know where the checks are. Maybe he will be. Maybe I need to check my Venmo. We hadn't got that yet. But anyway, so I'm all in on Dion Sanders and his vision for the program. I'm all in on what they did in the portal. This is me in the spring and summer. This was me talking. But, but I wasn't necessarily all in on this team this year being able to do stuff like they did yesterday. So um, I don't know if you would call it ahead of schedule. Certainly from one week's perspective, they were ahead of schedule. But it, it's like, I don't know, it's it's vision of future Versus what I thought the here and now would be. So that's where there was a little bit of a disconnect for me yesterday. But uh, it's a funny thing when you choose what you want to have faith in, in this sport. I'm not talking about out there in the real world in life. I just mean in football, it's, it's very interesting because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We remember Sunday school, right? The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11:1. And in a college football sense, there are things like, for example, North Carolina's run defense. I heard good things in fall camp. I chose to take a wait and see approach. I did not have faith in it. Well, I was wrong. We'll talk about that game later. With Deion Sanders, he preached about belief. They were very adamant, we're going to win this year. They were very adamant. We got the horses to do it this year. And I just had an entire lifetime's worth of watching college football and hopefully having good instincts from watching it working against me, because nothing they're doing has ever been done to this degree. People have taken transfers before. They haven't built a team off transfers and put it together and had it all gel and gone out and won immediately. They've never done that. No one has. So you had to have total blind faith, and they did. And it really doesn't matter who else believed in them. Like I've I've listened to Dion talk a lot about that. It really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if a soul outside that locker room believes in them. They believed, and so they got it done yesterday. Now, here's what I could not help but continue to take away from watching them as they not only got the early lead, but you knew the counterpunch was coming from TCU. And TCU landed several, and then Colorado delivered right back. That's the kind of stuff probably um, that took a lot of people more by surprise than just some really good athletes making plays early on like we see the cattle prod approach all the time in college football that's where they just kind of stun gun you to the neck and you're you're staggered and you're on the ropes but eventually the the deeper more seasoned veteran team responds and yesterday that would have looked like it did early and then TCU pulls away that's what that would have looked like Colorado never let it happen obviously they never let it happen Deion's got really good players out there he's got really good coaches too I think he's done a really good job of kind of sharing that praise and and evening the butter out over the bread, so to speak. Uh, he's always going to take a lot of credit. He should take a lot of credit. He deserves a lot of credit. But part of the credit he deserves is hiring guys like Sean Lewis, his offensive coordinator, who was a head coach in the MAC and left to go be his OC. Uh, Charles Kelly was one of the most valuable pieces on Nick Saban's staff. He left to go out there and be the DC. They got guys on their coaching roster who have been there before. They've done it. They've been around winners, and not that that locker room full of kids lacks for confidence, but a lot of that locker room full of kids have not been on winners yet at the college level. These coaches have. Dion has as a player. Uh, the coaches have, in some cases, as players and coaches, and so it was. It was so glaringly apparent when you saw Colorado yesterday. And you expected them to finally have the moment overcome them. The moment never overcame them. That stuff, quite frankly, is stuff sports writers love to talk a lot about. I don't think they even care. Like, it never even phased them. Did you ever watch this game yesterday and say, "Uh uh-oh, there it is. Heat's being turned up on them. Like, did Travis Hunter really look like he cared? That, oh, oh, I bet the viewership is up over 3 million households across the country on this game. Now, I'm getting a little nervous. No, he just did stuff like that. Total alien play. Complete alien play. He played like 140 plus snaps yesterday. Everyone's talking about fatigue. Everyone's talking about how winded he is. Meanwhile, post-game press conference. How do you feel? I, I could probably play again. I, you know, I feel good. I feel pretty good. I'm going to suggest to you the modern athlete is a little bit different in some cases. And there aren't really many others like him. I had a guy. I'd look it up if it wouldn't take me like two minutes. I had a guy friendly enough come at me about two hours ago and say, why all the Travis Hunter hype? Like all he did, and this is dead serious. Now, all he did was have a hundred yards receiving, played both ways, had an interception and a pass breakup. This is this dude, not joking. He's talking to me seriously. And he said, aren't we over hyping him a little bit? Travis Hunter plays and starts and shines for every other college football program out there. And would be drafted very highly right now if he could go to the NFL. So no, we're not overhyping <laughs> him. Every if you didn't watch this game yesterday and you've just heard the talk, everything they're saying about him is true. We did the whole um, we did the whole Shohei Otani comparison uh, about a month ago. We put it on a YouTube short. That thing did more traffic yesterday than it did when we released it, Jesse, which goes to show you what Google was doing yesterday with his name. I, look, I'm not going to compare him to Shohei Otani after one game. I'm saying we are going to watch a player at the Power 5 level attempt to and be equipped to do something that we don't really see. We don't see players play both ways at the major college level. We just don't see it. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how there were wildly differing thoughts out there about how Dion acted when he came in. Everyone had an opinion of how Dion acted when he came in, and should he treat those players like boys, college athletes? Should he treat them like men or more like employees would be treated? And at the time, I said, look, you can't be in the modern era. You can't be in the NIL era. You can't be in the players' rights era where they enjoy all the trimmings and trappings of adulthood, but also expect them to be treated like kids and amateurs when it's really not that anymore. And so I never had a problem with the tough love approach that he had when he walked in. He walked in and said, it's my time now. So if I sink or swim, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it with my players. He flat out told a locker room full of them. A lot of you are not going to be here in the fall. Come to grips with it. It's tough. I'm not saying it's pleasant, but that happens in the American workplace. And the powers that be, in many cases, have turned college football into that. And so that was their choice. One of the consequences is it's it's very much like you saw Dion deal with it. That's how it is moving forward. So I didn't have a problem with that. Then we get into spring and then we get into summer and then fall and he's starting to talk to folks and look them in the eye and say, do you believe? And they're kind of skeptical. He says, okay, you don't believe, but you'll see soon. They win the game yesterday. Afterwards, he's looking a reporter in the eye and says, do you believe now? And the reporter said whatever he said. And he goes, oh, you still don't believe. Okay, I can tell you don't believe. Next question. And everyone had an opinion on it except me, because I really couldn't care less. And you're going to hear me say that a lot about Deion Sanders. I guess it's the same that I I view a lot of things through the prism of. I just know what he's hired to do. He's there to deliver. You cannot use a conventional approach to start off with at the University of Colorado and deliver. Uh, He is not conventional in any shape, form, or fashion. It's in your face. It's brash. I think he's I think he's a little more humble than anyone realizes where it's needed. But dealing with media is not where being humble is needed. All due respect, because I'm over here. I talk behind a microphone. Um, I don't call myself a journalist, but but I'm part of that media infrastructure. You don't owe it to me to be humble around me. You don't owe it to a locker room or, well, you owe it to your locker room to be completely different. You're, you're accountable to your locker room. You're not really accountable to the to the local media or national media. I know that a lot of folks want... People like Deion Sanders to bend a knee to him. I don't, I just don't care. I don't care. And I don't even have to particularly love the way he goes about it. It's just, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anyone else in my profession thinks. So I saw a lot of people have an issue with him and, and talk about how it's not the media's job to believe. You're right. You're free to do your job how you want to as well. It's just that I'm extending him the same courtesy. That's it. That's all. That's my take on that. But here's what happened yesterday. So while everyone is watching Colorado look really good on the field, you know, everyone yesterday is watching Colorado eventually beat TCU. Big upset, three touchdown underdog. Wow, they just they just lit a fire under TCU. No, um, friends, that's not really what happened. I know it's what happened on that given Saturday, once upon a Saturday, some would say. Uh, Colorado, Deion Sanders in Colorado, didn't really beat TCU yesterday and didn't really put TCU in an uncomfortable position as much as they put many, many head coaches across America in an uncomfortable position. This was the talk. This was what was being texted to me left and right by agents, by some coaches brave enough to admit it. And that was, oh man, this guy is showing people or he's going to show people at least uh, what they'll think is possible everywhere now. Picture this, you're Billy Napier at Florida. Uh, You're Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. You are a coach that's a couple of years in at a well-resourced institution, and you have not delivered to the degree they want. And you've been preaching patience. And you've been preaching how it can't get turned around overnight. And then all of a sudden, Deion Sanders walks in Colorado and does what he's doing. I have no idea what the rest of the season has in store. I have no idea. Obviously, because I didn't even know what yesterday had in store. There is a logical approach that says, okay, there's only one Deion Sanders, and you certainly cannot expect that approach to be sustainable and duplicable at multiple institutions. That's your problem, because that is logical. You're trying to apply logic to an illogical situation. Fan bases who aren't getting a return on their emotional investment more than one year in especially don't have time for that, and it's going to create a mess. I would imagine the real Deion Sanders effect on the industry is going to be such that patience, which is already in short supply, will evaporate for a lot of guys because their fan bases and their boosters, who aren't necessarily experts on the matter, but who have pockets deep enough to have their opinion heard, are going to look at this and say, I'm telling you this quote's coming, we need to find our Dion. Like the guy's got a serial number on his back, one one of one. That's how many of him there are out there. It won't matter. People are going to start saying, where's our Dion? Well, we need to go get a guy who can do what he's done. Good luck. Good luck. Uh, Another fair warning. I issue this every year about one or two teams. I'm going to issue it early about Colorado. Recalibration of expectation is coming with this team. There is no doubt in my mind. There are people out there who said they won't win four games who are now going to recalibrate instead of admitting they're wrong. And, you know, Colorado is going to lose by 13 to USC. And that same person, even though they're en route to winning seven games, maybe is going to say, they couldn't even beat Oregon or USC. They didn't even beat UCLA or Oregon state. They didn't beat any of the top teams in the PAC 12. And that person will just watch it happen. It's so seamless. It, 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 happens Like, you're not even supposed to notice it. Those people who are the biggest haters and the biggest doubters, instead of ever admitting they're wrong, they just redefine the expectations midseason and then hate on you for not meeting their adjusted expectations. It happened with LSU last year. It happened with Michigan State two years ago. It'll probably happen with Colorado. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold them to the same standard we had them in the preseason. That over-under win total was three and a half. They are 25% of the way to hitting the over And they got Nebraska this week. And that line opened around a field goal. So we'll see. I got a reminder that I need to deliver to you guys. I appreciate you being tuned in. I know it was an early start time tonight. So I know some people are going to tune in later and there's already going to be a replay of the show on the channel. What a surprise that'll be. Let me just give you a little reminder. You know what? First off, Colin, let's deliver the happy news first. I got four best bets. I got four Ramen Noodle Express picks. The lines came out. I did not want to wait on these. We, we need to move on these now. I tweeted these out earlier. I especially think this first one is going to move pretty quick. Or who knows? Maybe not. Oklahoma State is playing at Arizona State this week. Uh, Oklahoma State looked horrific yesterday. Therefore, naturally, we love them this week. Uh, they are laying two and a half. We are laying two and a half with Oklahoma State. Important to get that one early because I saw it cross three in some places. Next up, Charlotte, plus 24 and a half at Maryland. Love the number there. We have it down closer to 19. So I love the number there. We're crossing several key numbers. Next up, a team that cashed for us yesterday. We're going to ride them again. Liberty is minus 12 and a half at home against New Mexico State this Saturday. We love Liberty by 17 and a half. So we really, really like that number. And we bet this exact number yesterday and got demolished. We we took 35 and a half with Arkansas State. They lost 73 to nothing. Don't care. We're going to do it again. We are taking Tulsa plus 35 and a half. They're going to Washington. So this is very early. I don't normally hand out more than one or two games on Sunday. I'm moving on four of them. I think we're going to have a pretty loaded week actually. Oklahoma State minus two and a half. Charlotte plus 24 and a half. Liberty minus 12 and a half. Tulsa plus 35 and a half. Okay. PSA, I'm only going to do this once this year, because a lot of you don't even bet, so you don't care about this. But even you guys who don't bet probably have a passing interest in point spreads, and you have a real interest in clowns. A lot of people exposed themselves yesterday. So here's how it works. My, my blanket advice to you is don't ever bet on sports. That's just my blanket advice. If I had to give one piece of advice for humanity, it would be don't bet on sports. Now, knowing that a lot of you are going to do it, I try and tell you, do it responsibly. Don't be betting money you don't have. Uh, have proper money management, define your unit size, immunity, et cetera, et cetera. And then I tell you, I'm going to give you some games every week on this show. We call it the Ramen Noodle Express. It's intent is to keep you off a diet of ramen noodles. I want you to be able to afford that 10 ounce filet or filet where I'm from if you so desire. But the one rule that I give you guys is either bet every one of the games I give you or don't bet a single one. Do not pick and choose because if I hand out a hundred games and you only bet the ones you agree with me on, you might as well not bet any of them because your net result will be the exact same winning percentage you would have had on your own. That's, it's, it, trust me, the math works out on that. So here's what happens. Every week one without fail, um, I will have people who don't know anything about betting and have no business having a sports book account who have opened one and they don't get how this stuff works and they'll go and they'll pick two or three games and inevitably they'll pick losers and then they'll come back at me and they'll start chirping. Like have the audacity to chirp. So here is the one PSA. It's the one warning. I'm not Brandon Walker. Okay, I don't block people on social media, but so help me if you come in my DMs and you're talking about bets I didn't force you to make, especially on a day where we ended up winning. We went three and two yesterday. Stats and info ran the numbers. I have it right here. It turns out that's 60%. That's really good, especially on a day we win. But even if we go 0-5, if you come at me and and you, you start running your mouth either passively, aggressively, or especially aggressively, that really makes you a clown. I am blocking you. you. You will not be able to hear from me anymore. I won't hear from you anymore. Uh, bet them all or don't bet at all. Don't be cherry picking. And especially if you cherry pick losers, don't be coming at me. So 99% of you, that doesn't apply to. The 1%, you know whomst you are. Let's move on. What a, what a game in Charlotte last night. So North Carolina beat South Carolina 31-17. to And it's a huge rivalry. Huge rivalry. But I'm not talking about Gamecocks-Tar Heels. The big rivalry I'm talking about right now, it it rages on, is me versus the model. I shared with you, candidly, last week, the model loved North Carolina. Loved them. I called the model names because it is, after all, an inanimate object. It doesn't have feelings, I don't think, except about Texas. And I not only forsook the model... I actively went in the other direction and I took South Carolina and how dumb did I feel last night? I I didn't have as bad a night as a South Carolina offensive lineman, mind you, but it was tough on me. It was tough on me because I, I don't know, in the words of Richard Marks, I guess I just should have known better. (sighs) So here it is, Mac Brown. We talked about Tez Walker all week and he was not declared eligible and I will drag the NCAA rightfully so in just a second for that. But we got a padlock stat. We got a good old fashioned padlock stat. First one of week one. Padlock stats, for those of you who are new around here, those are the stats where if I told you this before kickoff, you wouldn't have needed to watch the game. You would have already known the outcome. Well, if I told you South Carolina was going to have minus two yards rushing you would not have needed to watch the game. Yes, that is with sack yardage included, which is significant because of the next stat I'm gonna give you. South Carolina allowed 16 tackles for loss, nine sacks. So there was significant yardage shaved off that rushing total for sack yardage. Uh, It is the most sacks allowed by North Carolina in a game since 2000. We were fresh off Y2K, the last time a disaster of this magnitude happened to an offensive line in Columbia, South Carolina. We don't talk about losers first. We talk about winners. Hats off to North Carolina. As I admitted earlier, and I will admit at least once more, I was wrong, and I should have believed a little bit more, a lot more, in this defensive front. So in August, on every show we do, we lead it with what? We lead it with practice intel, uh, team whispers, insiders points of view on teams. And and there I was about three weeks ago telling you the guys over at Inside Carolina, specifically Ben Sherman, they were communicating with us that this defensive line was ready to shock the world. They had kids like Tamari Fox, who didn't even play last year, as well as guys who have been highly recruited guys in the past and just haven't as a collective performed up to the level of expectation. They kept telling us, Ben Sherman and company over there kept telling us This is for real this time. This is not a drill. And I I was just slow to believe because I've bought in and been bitten before, counting on any kind of even average improvement from North Carolina defensively. And yet here it is last night. Now, some of you, because I know it's one week sample size, you'll still sit there and say, well, this doesn't prove much because South Carolina just was, it was like ghosts. I mean, you might as well put five chally on the offensive line. They would have had a better luck stopping uh, that pass rush than, North, uh, than South Carolina actually did. And look, I get where you're going with that. It's an argument that is as old as time. After one week, anyone who does something good, there's always a yeah, but, or a well, but. I'm just going to judge it based off what it looked like and it looked like harassment all night. Like, you do that stuff on the streets, and a lot of y'all are, are waking up in jail this morning. Uh, but you didn't. You did it where you were supposed to. So no Devontae Walker at, at receiver for, for Carolina, which many of you dm me and just asked me to refer to North Carolina as. You, you, you said, I don't need an apology. I don't need you to admit you were wrong. I just want you to call us Carolina in the game recap. So there you go. That's, that's fair. I think those conditions are fair. So Carolina... Without Devontae Walker, still inexplicably ineligible, and we don't even have a ruling on his status from the NCAA, apparently on a long Labor Day weekend vacation up there. They still had five receivers with three-plus receptions. They averaged 11.2 yards per catch. That's getting it done. Josh Downs is gone. Tez Walker, not eligible, and still, they didn't really miss a beat, at least to the to the common eye, they didn't miss a beat. South Carolina's got real issues. I got a new game I want to play with you around here, and that is when there is a perceived crisis on a team, don't we, don't we need some scale around here? Like as a staff, we've decided we need some scale. So we're either going to call these casual concerns or credible concerns or outright crisis. And I'm not ready to say crisis yet. I'm teetering on it, but at the very least, the offensive line is a very credible concern. You were not a casual if you're worried about the South Carolina offensive line. They averaged on the ground last night negative 0.1 yards per carry. Mathematically, it should be impossible, but when you tack on sack yardage and tackles for loss, yes, their net result last night was every time they tried to run the ball, they went backwards. On average, they went backwards. And then I think to myself, self, some things in college football get cleaned up. You know, happens every year. It will happen with this team somewhere. But do I really watch the guys they trotted out there last night and think to myself, oh, that'll be a completely different looking unit when they go to Georgia in two weeks. You know, when they play Mississippi State and senior, 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 senior on the defensive front, oh, they'll be fine by then. Hey, Florida's defensive front can get after you. We watched Tennessee from field level yesterday. They didn't look bad. Do you think South Carolina is going to fare better at Texas A&M? They've got to play Clemson still. they got to play Kentucky still. You quickly start seeing how things could unravel. Now, they got Furman this weekend. Should be okay. I have my fingers crossed, doubly, if you're listening on podcast. But uh, it, it could with this kind of schedule, it could quickly snowball, and injuries piled up on them and continue to pile up on them. So it could snowball. So this game right here, this North Carolina win, that is a classic checkback game. About a month from now, you're gonna want to check back, cause you know as well as I do, if you've watched this sport for any length of time, there are games early in the year where you put a value on it the moment it happens. So the value we put on this yesterday is really, really good for North Carolina. South Carolina's terrible. That's just the average feel that I got from the game when I when I pulled a few of you. Well, we could get oh, I don't know, a month down the road, and maybe South Carolina is just a disaster. And so in your mind, you look back and you say, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have thought that highly about Carolina after that. Or maybe South Carolina goes and upsets Georgia, shocks the world, and meanwhile, North Carolina's just rolling, and you're thinking to yourself, "Who at the time, yeah, I was impressed with that win they had, but it was even more impressive than I imagined. We didn't really know how big a win and how good a win that was for North Carolina. Checkback game. We have them all over the place. Checkback game. Check with me right now, actually, for Academy Sports and Outdoors, having everything you need, and then some, for Labor Day weekend. I know you guys are going to do what we call celebrating a holiday tomorrow. I'm told it's a company holiday. I really don't even know if we do that on this staff anymore. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll I don't know, grill a hot dog in the in the kitchen somewhere. But you guys live normal lives. You get to do this. So if you need a grill, Academy Sports and Outdoors if you need to gear up for tailgating. I know some of you have your first home games this week. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they got you covered. They've got our show covered to the point where we don't even have to charge you for it. We just get to deliver it free of charge. And it is a very, very big blessing to have them on board. It is is—it is the time of year right now where if you walk in Academy, its it's really beautiful because you have still all the equipment for the summer type sports and summer months but also they're starting to transition when you get into the burr months, September, October, November, December. Then they start to get some different kind of gear on the shelves, and it's like it's perfect time of year. You're surprised they have that much shelf space, but they do. Magical places, Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you can't get there in person, don't worry. Academy.com has your hookup. Academy Sports and Outdoors, they have everything you need, including this show being delivered to you free of charge, and we appreciate it. Uh, don't don't mind the sound if you're listening on podcast. I'm just trying to gather my thoughts about how I want to approach this next game. Probably chapstick time. Uh, I didn't bring any out here, so I'm just going to chug some normal water. This is not even the chalice here. This is just good old fashioned public spring water. As is usually ceremonial on the show, I'm going to I'm going to give you a thought. I'm going to take a chug. You can tell me what you think. The thought is. Ohio State's offense yesterday. Pardon me for a second. Hmm. So, here we go. Ohio State beat Indiana yesterday. That's the good news for the Buckeyes. 23 to three. And boy, were there some takes on this one. So, I got to be honest with you. I don't share a popular opinion with most of you on this game. You know, I got Ohio state in the national title game and I was getting laughed at yesterday after this result. I believe if art galleries were run by a lot of you, they would just be empty because a lot of you would throw the painting away when it was a quarter of the way done. And you would say this painting sucks. And the artist would be like, it's not done. Like, wait a second. Understand where I'm going with this. Nope. Nope. Take your brush take your easel, get out of here. Next. That's how a lot of folks watch football. That's how a lot of folks judge football teams. Week one, you ignore Meemaw's advice. You don't just observe week one. A lot of you draw conclusions in week one. It will bite you. It's bitten you before. I think you get amnesia every single off season, which some of you celebrate proudly apparently. And you're right back to diving into conclusions after week one. And the conclusion is, Ohio State's offense is terrible. They're going to lose two or three games and burn it down. Let's start all over. I smiled yesterday as I watched this game. And I didn't smile because I'm anti-Ohio State. In fact, I'm kind of rooting for them because selfishly I want to be right and I want to see them go to the national title game. I, I was not shook. A lot of people were shook when they watched this yesterday. I smiled. And I smiled because of this quote which I kept in my back pocket from a show two weeks ago. And it sounds a little something like this. Quote, I think Ohio State's going to play for a national championship. I also think Ohio State could look really ugly to start the season. That quote was delivered by me on this show. I got exactly what I thought I'd get yesterday, believe it or not. I thought they'd look hideous offensively. Uh, Because I don't think the quarterback situation and the offensive line situation has lent itself to firing on all cylinders out of the gate. I saw a really good question over on Bucknuts earlier. I was perusing, I was just trying to feel out the fan base and th- they are varying degrees of unhappy right now. But someone said, "Well, this was about a three touchdown win. What if we won 42 to 21 instead?" Cuz that would be kind of a normal Ohio State score from the past several years. What if we won 42 to 21? And the general consensus was I would probably be a lot more comfortable because what would that mean? Well, that would mean the offense is right there where it needs to be, and the talking point would be we just got to clean some things up defensively. I look at this team in a totally inverted direction. I would much rather look at defense, completely suffocate a team. And by the way, it's the first time Ohio State's held a team to three or less since 2019. Uh, They don't do this stuff. Even against horrific offenses, Ohio State does not play this kind of defense, but maybe they do now. I'd a whole lot rather have that defense playing that caliber and looking at Ohio State and saying, "Mm, when offense gets going, then this will be a championship caliber team. Because there's a thing that I can assume a lot easier. I can assume a lot easier Ryan Day and his staff are eventually going to get a pretty good offensive product on the field than I can Ohio State is going to put a really solid defensive product on the field if I don't already have it. Because like I, I, cause I have seen no track record in recent history to indicate they're going to be anywhere close to elite defensively. So if all of a sudden they look like that, and I do have a track record of them being really good offensively, I'll just take my chances there. Like I, I'm a guy who thinks the world of them. I thought they'd look terrible yesterday. So I got what I expected. So I'm not upset about it. I, I just wonder what those staff meetings sound like today. That's what I wonder. Chip Kelly had a good line last night. They, they ended up beating Coastal Carolina, but it wasn't really pretty, but, but they beat Coastal Carolina. And he said, selfishly, as a coach, sometimes these are the kinds of wins you want early. Yeah, you'd love to dominate. You'd love to run it up and score half a 100, but selfishly, for what I need to put in this team's head the rest of the way, it's really good if we win ugly games early. And I I wonder how many other staffs feel that way right now. I wonder how many other staffs. I wonder if we may not have a staff in Columbus, Ohio, that was a little bit more hidden smile behind the curtain, pleased that they won yesterday, but it was kind of ugly. Because you you sometimes never know, you never know how a staff really feels because they're pretty closed off with that kind of information. Look, Ohio State's offensive staff could be sitting there saying, Kyle McCord's our guy at quarterback bar none. Let's commit to him and let's ride him. And as far as he can take us, that's where we're going to go. It could be that that's the case. I'm not claiming to know anything otherwise. I am claiming to have a little hunch that that's not totally the case. I am claiming to have a little hunch that that entire coaching staff's not all in on Kyle McCord because you got Devin Brown in that room too. And so, you know, let's say I'm running Pate State and I got a couple of quarterbacks. And maybe I put one out there and I ride him the whole way. I don't really insert the other guy because I want it to be glaringly obvious what we've got with him. I'm not saying Kyle McCord played bad football yesterday. Offensive line left a lot to be desired. It's a, it's a collective effort. You get all that. We all understand how football works, I think. But I watched what happened yesterday And Kyle McCord, uh, you wouldn't define him as electric, game breaker. Uh, You wouldn't call him elite in any way, at least at this point in his career. And there's been really good feedback come out of that camp uh, from some people about Devin Brown. So what I wonder, without an answer right now, is I wonder if that staff doesn't get together and meet, and instead of saying what you think they're saying, I wonder if that staff doesn't get together and meet and say, all right, there you go. And maybe you're looking across the room at certain people and saying, all right, there you go. You, you, you wanted to ride McCord. Well, this is us with Kyle McCord. So now, who wants to try the Devin Brown experience out? I just wonder, just wonder if that may not be the dynamic there. Uh, so I wasn't surprised by what I saw yesterday. But my feel is that defense is where it needs to be. My feel is offense will eventually get where it needs to be. My feel with that defense is offense does not need to be where it's been in the past. And in the aggregate, get that offensive line figured out, uh, which, which has a ways to go based on what we saw yesterday. Yes, I still think exactly what I thought about Ohio State uh, this time last week. I still think they can win every game they play. I still think they can be a national championship caliber team. I'm just glad we don't play it next week. I'm glad they don't play Michigan next week. I'm glad they don't play the Big Ten title game or a playoff game next week. Uh, That is the beauty of this sport. You get 12 of these things, not just one. They're watching us in Brooklyn, New York, San Jose, California, and Weedowie, Alabama, or as they call it, the Brooklyn of East Central Alabama. We appreciate you guys being tuned in. I had a little adventure yesterday, and I was not alone. I had a little adventure with a couple of people who may or may not exist one of him is named director Colin the other one is named producer Jesse and we marched ourselves right across the Cumberland River and we went to Nissan Stadium and we watched Tennessee and Virginia and a good time was had by all aside from our Virginia brethren so I'm going to take a sip from the chalice and I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about this oh by the way I got thoughts on a ton of other teams coming up I mean I got Uh, you know, believe it or not, three, six, seven, eight, nine, I guess like 11 teams left to talk about, but it's going to go quicker than it sounds. So don't worry. We're going to be out of here way before FSU and LSU kick off. And if you're listening on podcast, ignore what I just said. Um, so interesting score here. Okay. So Tennessee beat Virginia 49-13 to yesterday. We were at this one over there. It was not the once upon a Saturday tour stop. That was Thursday night. We just went over there because it was in our backyard. So you look at 49 points being hung and you say, wow, Tennessee exploded out of the gate. No, they did not. They did not. In fact, in a shortened game because of new clock rules, they found a way to hang half a hundred, even though out of their first five drives, four of them ended in a punt or a turnover. So it was kind of slow out of the gate, but that was normal college football stuff. That's a casual concern. That's not a a legitimate concern. That's just a casual concern. Joe Milton, I got a story to tell you about him in a second, but Joe Milton, 21 of 30, 200 yards through the air, a couple of touchdowns, 33 on the ground, another couple of touchdowns. I don't know that I could have expected any more from him in a debut as a starter. I, I was happy. I was pleased with what I saw from him. Offensive line, though, was a big concern for Tennessee coming into this game, and that's really the area where, all things considered, Cooper Mays is out. I thought that unit stepped up. You're not going to go back if you have access to all 22 film and look at it and say, oh, what a clinic. Just procedural. Look at this. They annihilated Virginia. They weren't going to. It's a bunch of new pieces anyway, and then you got one of your focal points out. They did, pl- they did more than well enough to obviously – win a game and run away from a team and win a game. But Joe Milton on that opening drive, I think it was, he's coming right down to our end of the field. And there was a fourth down play. I think it was fourth and five. And he went through progressions and he checked that ball down and they got it in the end zone. And I was over on the Tennessee sideline. They were so ecstatic, not just that they scored, but they saw him do What, as a coaching staff, they hope he has the maturation to do or the maturity to do. And so I just kind of always tuck that kind of stuff away because that's week one. You know, it's the kind of place you expect the guy to be in week six. Week one, though, that's just a good sign. It's Virginia. I know what the comment section will say. Well, yeah, it's just Virginia. I get it. It's like a blanket statement. You can make about 95% of teams who played in week one. But Josh Heupel develops quarterbacks. I could go on a hype video one day, I think. Josh Heupel develops quarterbacks, though. So when I see them have three running backs, get 12-plus carries, I I see 5.5 yards per carry, and I have what they had on the offensive line, and that's my starting point. I do have legitimate reason with Tennessee quarterbacks to think it's only onward and upward from here. I don't say that about everyone. I just trust the developmental process there at that position to where – I mean, if I, if I got 52 carries, 287 yards at the tailback position, so I'm solid there. They trust a number of guys at that position. I know that quarterback is what it is and will get better for me barring injury. I, I feel good. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. I feel really good. There was a point early in this game where Ramel Keaton dropped a bomb. Would have been a bomb, probably touchdown pass, but at the very least a long completion so I told myself, that looks like it was about 65 in the air. He looks like he threw the ball about 65 yards in the air. And I went back and watched it. That's what, pretty much what it was, about 65 in the air. So before this game, I got over to the stadium a little bit early. We had some stuff to do. And I got over to the stadium early. I went up to the press box because I cannot explain to you in strong enough terms how much I love 11 a.m. kickoffs because we get to eat breakfast. Big breakfast guy. And so I'm sitting up there. Uh, Producer Jesse's next to me. We're talking to some folks. Tennessee has arrived at the stadium. So it's before normal warm-ups. Milton's down there throwing. I didn't really realize I wasn't paying a lot of attention. He's still in his, his like hoodie. I mean, he's not even in warm-up clothes yet. So I see out of the corner of my eye what looks like the trajectory of a punt. Now, if you've been in football stadiums, you know what that looks like. And so it's the difference between a pop-up and a home run ball, usually. And so I look down there, and a receiver catches it. Like, I'm kind of seeing this out of the corner of my eye. I look down there, and Milton's throwing. He's on the opposite 30-yard line. And I watch him, and he is no crow hop. He's just throwing balls 70 yards in the air to receivers running, like, simulated 20-yard go routes. I've never seen him do it in person. I've heard stories about it. I've never seen his arm in person until yesterday. Then he backed up and he was throwing it 80 in the air and it still looked effortless and I was texting somebody saying, "You will not believe what I'm watching right now." So then in the game when they finally threw it deep and it was dropped so it's not on anyone's like, you know, highlight reel, he just he just flicks the ball, 65 in the air, dime, just dropped it right in a bucket, no problem. I don't know that there's a stronger arm out there. Like Anthony Richardson was a total freak of nature last year with his arm strength. I don't know what kind of charity we have to set up to make it happen. I just, I'd love to see those two shot for shot. Look, I think Milton may be able to throw the ball hundred yards in the air. If he gets a little bit of wind behind him and he double crow hops it, I don't know, man. He looked like he was throwing on the moon yesterday in warmups you'd have to see it. I know, I know you may be calling BS on that. I'm telling you it was effortless. He's thrown the ball 70 yards in the air, no crow hop. So I'm sure a bunch of you can do that with Nerf balls. I know it's not impressive to some of you, but to me it was. I need to talk to you about a couple of teams here. I'm going to announce, by the way, in a few minutes, the destination for the Once Upon a Saturday tour this Saturday deep week we had a really deep week got a got a number of games on the bench that we could go to do me a favor if you're watching live and a ton of you are just click the thumbs up button that's all I need you to do and if you haven't subscribed to the channel and many of you think you have but you haven't so make sure if you haven't if you haven't subscribed to the channel go ahead and do that too all of it's free no process no forms to fill out no no spam no nothing just it helps us I watched Bama and I watched Georgia yesterday. And these were not like main event games, but they're main event teams. Like both of these teams will figure in the SEC and national championship races. So Bama beat Middle Tennessee State pretty soundly. And I cannot tell you how many times people have told me Bama doesn't have a quarterback just because they hadn't settled on one. Bama doesn't have a quarterback. Half of my staff thinks that. Bama doesn't have a quarterback. Uh, Whatever you can prove against Middle Tennessee State, you decide that in your own mind. Jalen Millroy looked pretty good yesterday. Now, I have, a, I have a set expectation for him. So he is not Bryce Young in my mind. Therefore, when he goes 13 of 18 for 194 through the air and he added another 48 on the ground, had five total touchdowns, no interceptions, no turnovers. Like that, to me, is a great Jalen Milroe game. But um, there was a padlock stat in this game that totally went over everyone's head because you weren't watching because it's, it's a blowout. But um, if you remember Alabama games last year, watch this touchdown, by the way, total alien play. Um, if you remember Bama games last year, and those of you who are Bama fans know where I'm going with this, there was something that probably drove you up a wall week after week after week. And that is the fact that they averaged nearly eight penalties per game for about 70 yards per game. At two penalties yesterday. And here's the padlock stat. None of them were on the offensive line which is like the prayer emoji, come, come to real life for Alabama fans. And it was the biggest mystery in the sport. How did Alabama all of a sudden become one of the most undisciplined teams in terms of penalties in college football? Well, several theories out there, and we're only through one game this year. That looks to have stopped. The energy their defense played with yesterday, I do not care if it was against air, the energy their defense played with yesterday, the physicality the, the flying to the football, the aggressiveness, the technique tackling, it's been void. It just hasn't been there. And they went and hired Kevin Steele, and that was met with a collective, ugh, from people. Whatever it is they did between last year and this year, I just find that button, and I keep on pressing it. Like, like Lawson has been there for a couple of years. He looked like a monster last night, and for the record... That's a guy in our team, Intel, we kept on telling you about. Deontay Lawson at middle linebacker is a guy who's been like one of the stars of their fall camp. Yeah, keep him healthy, and that'll be one of the best players in college football this year. So remember back at SEC Media Days, I told you we talked to Nick Saban, and I got a pretty good read on how he felt about his coordinator hires, and it wasn't how the rest of America felt. The rest of America, and a lot of Alabama fans, frankly – looked at him hiring Tommy Reese as his OC and Kevin Steele as his DC, and they thought, oh man, these are are average to below average hires. And there are a lot of metrics out there. A lot of people who know how to grade that stuff that would agree with that. And I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just saying Nick Saban's different than pretty much anyone else. And so the vibe I got off Saban without him outright saying it was, there are about 30 coordinators out there I can win with if I have the right team mentally, because I know how talented we are. So as long as I just have a team wired the right way, there are 30 different guys I can put an OC or a DC name tag on and we'll be good. I think that's the kind of team he's got. And so it doesn't matter if it's Kevin Steele, doesn't matter if it's Tommy Reese, doesn't matter really who it is. He's got the right guys from a mental standpoint. At least it appears that way. And you know, I felt that way throughout fall camp. So You know who they play this week? They play Texas this week. So any doubts you have, um, which is totally fair, (laughs) like if you weren't sold after a Middle Tennessee State win, that's cool, you'll get them answered this week. That's the beauty of the sport. Again, we don't play one game. We play 12. So they got a big one this week. More on that a little bit later. Georgia uh, played UT Martin. They won 48-7. They looked really sluggish offensively. Um, Again, this is something we expected. Kind of like with Ohio State. I expected Bama to look uglier than they did offensively, so that was a pleasant surprise. I got what I thought I'd get from Georgia. I got what I thought I'd get from Ohio State. That's why I'm not freaking out about them looking sluggish, but boy, I knew what was coming. I knew when Carson Beck didn't light the world on fire. I knew when that offensive line did not blow people off the ball, especially considering it's UT Martin. I knew what was coming. Mike Bobo hate was coming. And there is a long and storied track record between the Georgia faithful and Mike Bobo. He's got a history there, and they, they've got a history. And so when Kirby had him back in his program and then elevated him to OC, I knew when it happened. That feels good now, but come fall, as soon as that offense doesn't hang half a 100 in the first half against an inferior opponent... Could happen in week one. Uh, There's a question that's going to be relevant. And so Director Colin has pulled from the archives me doing the Lord's work. I knew it was coming. So I went ahead and I asked Kirby Smart two months ago this question. One of the hardest laughs I've had is when Todd Munkin gets a job elsewhere. You've known Mike Bobo for like 700 years. (laughs) And folks who have never met him a day in their life were mildly critical in saying, why didn't he conduct a national search? Why did he just elevate from within? Plus, we've seen Mike Bobo before. We want something new. Um, I'm delivering that to you just in case you don't subscribe sure. to the paper these days. So when you listen to that kind of stuff, what's your reaction? Other than saying, shut up. I love I love it because I'm like, it's the same crowd that when Mel Tucker left said, who's Dan Lanning?" And the uh, same crowd that when Dan Lanning left, who's Glenn Schumann? Um, and, and, you know, when we hired Todd Munkin, there's not a lot of people that just were over uh, abundant with joy with that hire so um, each hire is, is going to be graded based on the results and the outcomes and to me it's really a, a more process related I'm more thinking of like who's going to do the best job with our staff who understands our staff who gives us continuity who's called it before who's coached quarterbacks before it was a really good fit and we brought him in with the thought that if Munkin ever left we would be comfortable they got a new quarterback starting up there they have got a new offensive coordinator, even though Mike Bobo's from the system. They are badly banged up, have been throughout the majority of fall camp, and they looked lethargic yesterday. And I'm going to give you the reason. It's because it's not Xbox. It's real life, and that stuff just happens in football sometimes. And um, I did not necessarily expect that I'd be the one having to defend Georgia and telling folks to calm down. Folks have labeled me a Georgia hater right now because I – I had the audacity to uh, not predict someone to win a third championship in a row, but I'm going to tell half of you who did pick them to win the title. They'll be fine. This team's going to be right there at the end of the year. They'll be fine. It may not look exactly the way you want it to every week. They'll be fine. There are people making decisions there that know what they're doing. They they may just not have as good a team as they had the last two years. Like, Does this occur to anybody? So UT Martin, notwithstanding, they play Ball State this week. They're going to win that game, and there'll be some ups and some downs, and then they get into conference play, and I have this wild idea that that staff is handling the first three weeks of the season accordingly. Let me translate. I think you would have seen a different Georgia team yesterday if South Carolina was on the schedule. Call me crazy. I just believe that. I don't know why. Like I believe Lincoln Riley would have handled the San Jose State game a little bit differently if it were Oregon in week one. I just have a sneaking suspicion. So uh, yeah, any, I, actually anyone who wants to sell their Georgia stock, I'll take some. I'd love to have some of that in my portfolio. I think they'll be fine. Uh, Colin, I think now is as good a time as any to remind the masses out there that it's a big week coming up. We got a massive week coming up. Just think about the games on the schedule. Even Texas A&M Miami, which is a game, I'm actually gonna talk about both those teams before we go off the air, but that game is huge. Uh, Texas Tech went up into Laramie, Wyoming last night and lost and they're playing host to Oregon this week. That's the last place on earth I would wanna be if I were Oregon. Wounded animal mode. Home team in Lubbock, Texas in week two. So anyway, a lot of big games on the schedule. But man, come on now. The Once Upon a Saturday Tour is headed down I-65, and we're headed to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because Texas is playing at Alabama. And this is the one we've had circled for a couple of years now, actually. We were at this game last year in Austin. Apparently, everyone and their mother is going to be at this one. Offer up a little prayer for Josh Maxson this week, if you don't mind, by the way. Uh, It's a much bigger game for him than either Sark or Nick Saban in many ways. So yes, we will be down there and we will be down there with bells on. Looking forward to this one. It will be one of the most intense environments that you will have seen in Bryant-Denny Stadium. The 2019 LSU game was like that. This game will be like that. What I did not do is I did not just compare Texas 2023 as a team to Joe Burrow's LSU. I did not do that. I repeat for those in the back, I did not do that. What I'm telling you is there's this weird dynamic with Bama. Saban's been there a long time now. They've won a bunch of championships. They hardly ever lose at home. Rarely are they ever even threatened at home. And so the environment can sometimes lag as a result of that. There's no way to avoid it. When you win that much, your fan base gets complacent to a degree and they have an expectation to win and they don't feel threatened. Bama folks will feel legitimately threatened three times at home this year. This is the first one because this team almost beat them last year and half the country thinks they're going to lose outright Saturday. We'll pick that game Tuesday night, by the way. The LSU game is at Bryant-Denny this year and LSU beat them last year and that is their perceived biggest threat in the West and Tennessee beat them last year. Tennessee's got to come into Bryant-Denny. Those are three games this year where you turn it on, Bryant-Denny Stadium will be on fire. I'm glad we're going to be there. That's what I'm saying. So uh, we will be there Saturday. That's a prime time kick. Not on my network, but we're going to be there. And need I remind you, patestatematerial.com, as of tonight, we'll have the Once Upon a Saturday Tour shirt go live we sell it for one week and one week only for this particular game, and it'll be gone forever. But also, we got Texas and Alabama Pate State My State shirts, and they are beautiful, if I, you don't mind me saying so. And both of those are available right now in the store at PateStateMaterial.com. Would love to see some of those. Saw some Utah shirts out in Salt Lake last week. Pleasant surprise. I'm still not used to that. The Fighting Jesses had a darn good night last night. Penn State 38, West Virginia 15. Some of you were very upset at the end of this one. Some of you thought, oh, West Virginia's not going to win this game. But certainly, West Virginia will cover. And I have always told you guys some people are more aware than others about the point spread on their games. This is nothing nefarious. It's just some coaches are aware of that stuff and some are not. And coaches, they know. They know their alumni I love to bet on this stuff. I tweeted out last night when, when West Virginia thought they were about to take a knee. Nah, Penn State, 10 seconds to go. Let's just score one more for good measure. There are two people on planet Earth more aware than anyone of what the spread is on a Penn State game. And they're both in that photo right there. One of them's me. The other one is James F. Franklin. And he got you again last night. Got you again, didn't he? Ouch. Dagger to the ribs for some of you. It didn't affect us either way. So I got some feedback from a couple of coaches that Penn State will have to play this year. Um, And it was basically a collective uh uh-oh as they were watching this game. It's Kind of like a uh uh-oh. And that was in reference to Drew Aller, who, as it turns out, is everything we thought he would be. 21 of 29, 325 through the air, three passing touchdowns, and more so than the stats. Mm -hmm. If you didn't watch this game... Drew Aller was in total control. It was really his I'm not going to call it his first start. It's like his first time as the QB1 starter for Penn State. And he worked every level of the field and he worked through progressions and frankly he was under a little more duress than I would have been comfortable with. So there there wasn't necessarily a clean pocket for him all night. But when there was and even when there wasn't sometimes, totally aware. He looked like he he had two or three years starting under his belt it's just if i'm a penn state fan i am watching that and i'm not nervous if that kid's my quarterback i'm totally at ease that's how i'd feel after watching him just through one game we went up there in the spring and and uh, franklin let us watch practice and even then and it was it was a scrimmage in in spring practice but even then you look at him and every throw's not perfect i'm not saying that but i'm saying he did not look like A guy who was green or a first-year starter, he he looks so much more seasoned than he actually is. There's plenty of room to improve on this team, too. They won 38-15. Pass pro was not great for Penn State last night. Run stopping defensively, not great. That's one of the biggest concerns on this team. I would not be comfortable with them facing Michigan right now. Michigan ran for about half a mile on them last year. Uh, Based on what we saw last night, one-game sample size, I wouldn't be comfortable with Michigan coming to town, but here's the good news. They don't come to town this week. That's all the way, I think, in November. So the one thing I kept reminding myself or kept thinking to myself watching this game is, you know what could happen here? Uh, They've got a quarterback that could win a shootout. Like if someone does figure out that they can run the ball for 245 yards in an afternoon on Penn State, it's not an automatic loss. I got a quarterback here that, that may just be able to outscore you. I'm not a guy who's been overly confident in Penn State winning a 48 to 45 game in years past. That is not Penn State football. Uh, But if that happens at some point this year, and I don't expect it to, that defense is too good to be hanging out in the 40s. But you get what I'm saying. 38, 35, let's say I got the guy I think that can do it there. And I, I've also got a guy that probably gets the absolute most out of a, a wide receiver room. They didn't even involve the tight end position much last night. So I've still got a lot of room for growth offensively. I like where Penn State is. I'm getting clowned right now because I predicted them to go to the playoff. That's fine. That's okay. Felt pretty good with what I saw last night. Now they got Delaware this week and then they go to Illinois in week three. Dogfight in week three. Don't be fooled. Dogfight fight on the way in week three. All due respect to Delaware. Okay, some other thoughts here. And uh, then we got a big game to watch tonight. Anyone changing their pick on that, by the way? LSU, FSU, I think we got about 30 minutes to kick off. I I went back and forth. I won't lie to you. I got to shoot straight with you guys. I went back and forth. I I got LSU in the game. There was about a four-hour chunk of my life over the weekend where I almost thought about just kind of getting on Twitter and saying, Cancel that. I'm taking FSU. Now, I'm not doing it because that would be unethical. But I'm no, not a dime if my money is on that game tonight. I'm just watching along with you guys. And a lot of you are watching right now. Make sure you like the video if you're here and haven't done so already. Did you see Miami play the other night? They played Miami of Ohio. That offensive line's totally transformed. When we were down there uh, over the summer, and I watched summer workouts. And I, So I'm watching stuff that coaches aren't even involved in, and I'm watching Francis Malagoa, who may also pronounce his last name Malanoa according to the broadcast. I am watching him. He's the true freshman who came in. I could not speak more glowingly of him, and I told you I watched them do something. So the offensive line group was in the indoor facility while we were filming some stuff, and then afterwards, I was just watching them work out. We were down on the field with them. We were catching some balls with them, actually. Yeah, you heard me right. So, so Malgo was out there running pass routes and he's like 330, 340 and he's just so fluid. He looked like an actual receiver with the way he controlled his body. And then he went over to the jugs machine. He caught 41 straight balls one-handed off the jugs machine. Turned up pretty high. So, total freak athlete. Oh, also, he started at left tackle for him. At offensive line. Like, I could not have been more pleased if I were Mario Cristobal. I could not have been more pleased in, in game one with how that unit looked because they were dreadful last year and they just totally overhauled it. Not, not even the same people are on that line from last year. So I, I loved the start. Miami, Ohio never got any oxygen. And I know there are a lot of people out there who say, oh, it's just Miami of Ohio. Again, it's your prerogative to think that way. That's fine. The line on this game was about 15. And they won 38-3. to They've got Texas A&M coming in there this week. One of the spotlight games of week two because of A&M, and I'll talk about them right now. A&M played a a directional school yesterday, and most of you didn't watch that game. Texas A&M against New Mexico, or I don't care, against New Mexico High School. Uh, You better take Texas A&M seriously. I, I saw all I needed to see. Connor Wigman could be a breakout player this year at quarterback. You, you may think it's too early for me to draw these conclusions. I don't. I don't. He was 18 of 23. He, he threw for a lot. It's, forget about all the numbers. The stuff that you hoped you would see as an A&M fan, the stuff that was never there under Jimbo, regardless of who you were playing, it was there yesterday, wasn't it? It was there yesterday. Now, all of a sudden... Now, all of a sudden, people have to start looking at that A&M wide receiver room and acknowledging what we've been saying on this show for about two months, and that is they're loaded. You just don't fear them because you've never trusted they could get the ball to them. Now they can. Texas A&M is to be taken very, very seriously in the SEC West. Now, here's the thing. They're they're not playing a conference game this week, but they're going to go play Uh, very quality competition. Cam Kitchens at Miami may be the best safety in the country. So they'll get some really, really good tests this week. Uh, Defensively, they they are loaded and they get to face what I think is a much improved Miami offensive line. Really good matchup. They they overpower, they outman Miami still. Uh, That line, Jesse, remind me, what did that line open up at? You remember off the top of your head? Six and a half or seven. A&M, about a six and a half or seven point favorite. So lock in for that one. But I'm telling you, buy stock in that team right now. That team's going to be for real this year. I've just got very little doubt at this point. Next up, talk about doubt. Talk about a Sarah McLaughlin special. Talk about the splattering of the week. Oklahoma, 73 to nothing. Was this necessary? Butch Jones is a person too. And so I felt bad for him. I felt bad for myself. Because we bet Arkansas State. Yeah, we sure did. We were those people who had an Arkansas State ticket. Hey, We won yesterday overall. So you just got to own the losses. Uh, frustration was taken out on Arkansas State by Oklahoma. This was, this was rough. This was painting the walls with their blood. It was funny because last year, you kind of got your own blood on your hands if you're Oklahoma. Oh, they had blood on their hands yesterday, but it wasn't their own. It was Red Wolf blood everywhere. So I know that a lot of people, I think I've said this nine times in the show, will not take much from this, cause it's Oklahoma or it's Arkansas State. Well, again, There are things you didn't see last year as an Oklahoma fan, both sides of the ball, that you saw in this game against an inferior opponent, no doubt, but you saw it. You didn't even see it against the inferior opponents last year. They play SMU this week. Another very sneaky good game. SMU is about a 16-point dog, and they go into Norman. I expect the public to be heavy on Oklahoma, and we'll see. I'm not necessarily in the the mental or emotional place I need to be right now to bet against Oklahoma, as is obviously the case. So I'll probably leave that one alone. What about Texas? Number one rule on the show. Number two rule on the show. Number one rule on the show, listen to me, ma. Number two rule, don't, don't lose to food. Texas played Rice yesterday, and they won 37 to 10. Now, one of the bright spots of Texas fall camp has been the run defense, and they gave up 27 rush yards on 25 carries, so... There was no running Rice yesterday. They forced three turnovers, so Rice turned it over a lot. That's good. I am a believer Texas can win games with defense early while the offense gets figured out. The offense still needs to get figured out. You guys who watched this game yesterday, quarterback play left a little bit to be desired. Um, Offensive line play left a little bit to be desired. They had penalties all over the place. It, It didn't leave me feeling overly warm and fuzzy that their next game is on the road at Alabama. But again, that's, that's the week one to week two thing. It's overlooking an opponent potentially. All that could have been in play. I think you'll get the best of Texas at Alabama this Saturday. We just got to find out what the best of Texas is. Uh, Washington just obliterated Boise State yesterday. Michael Penix, 29 of 40, 450 through the air, five touchdowns. There are question marks about this team Lost their best running back in fall camp. Uh, They didn't do much on the ground yesterday. Obviously, they didn't need to. So that's a remains to be seen thing. Boise couldn't take advantage of anything, even if they wanted to defensively for Washington. So a little bit of that still remains to be seen. But an overly impressive performance from Washington. In week one, I did not want that to be overlooked. I do want to talk to you about Baylor. Uh, Baylor was favored by 27 and a half against Texas State. Baylor lost to Texas State, 42-31. They were struggling to just stay in the game. And there were some inexcusable issues here. I'm a big Dave Aranda guy. I still am. I'm not selling on Dave Aranda. A lot of you DM me about that. No, I'm not selling on Dave Aranda. Uh, But there were some very fundamental issues they had, like wide receivers understanding how to line up on or off the ball. It, it's apparently it's been an issue for them all fall camp like that was an issue just really really like basic week one install type stuff was an issue they had trouble snapping the ball yesterday like they had trouble getting a playoff and Aranda afterwards he not never shy away from that stuff but he just he sounded very dejected uh very disappointed which he should have been but you know I tell you guys all the time don't be drawing conclusions in week one. And look, they've got Utah at home this week. Maybe they'll be a different team. The problems Baylor had yesterday, I don't know that you correct those in a film session. I don't know that you just show up at practice the next week and you clean that stuff up. I hope I'm wrong because I happen to like Baylor. But I saw Utah in person last week, and they're on extra rest before this game, so I know what those guys are bringing, regardless of who starts at quarterback for them. I have no idea what Baylor's bringing right now. Speaking of that game, yeah, I was at the Florida-Utah game and we didn't do a show the next day, so I haven't talked to you about this yet. Um, Not good, man. Not good for Florida. Great night for Utah. I, I picked Florida to win, just on the wrong team, just on the wrong side. It was very obvious. What's crazy is when you look at the box score, if you were to, if you were to cover up the third down statistics, everything else makes it look like Florida may have won. No, man, you go one of 13. I think they were three of 18 on third or fourth down tries. Just bad, man. It was just really bad. And there were just glaring, glaring problems procedurally. I was talking to an NFL guy on the sideline up there, and he said, it's so crazy that Billy Napier's reputation is to be so detail oriented and so dialed in on this stuff, and his team in year two is coming out of the gate looking like this. That's an NFL guy now, uh, that that has been around all these teams, and that was the, you know, that was the opinion I had. That's the opinion he had. Uh, Graham Mertz ended up not being the problem for him. Like, it was the pieces around him doing or not doing their job. But uh, Kyle Whittingham has the best program in the Pac-12. That gets overlooked sometimes because people, I'm guilty of this. People try and look everywhere other than Utah to pick their winner out there. I did it again this year. I picked Oregon. And you sometimes overlook what's so obvious, and that is they've got the most rock-solid program out there. They have for a long time. I had a great time out there. I was surprised at how well we were received. I don't mean from a hospitality standpoint, although just aces across the board, let us in the stadium way, way early to do the show, and um, all that was great. But now the reception we got from the people out there, I just didn't know that that many people in Salt Lake City knew about the show, but I appreciate it. Sure do appreciate it. But they got another really good team. <clears throat> because when, you, when you're when you without your top two quarterbacks and and you just kind of handle, you kind of toy around with an SEC program, you're kind of off to the races. And they go to Baylor this week, and then a couple of weeks from now, they got UCLA. And UCLA looked good last night, still with issues to work out. But Dante Moore, man. Dante Moore may have had his time come very early for UCLA. It could be a really good year. It's going to be a really good year in the Pac-12. I don't know what in the world Florida is about to do. They got what should be a very winnable game this week, and then they got Tennessee in two weeks. So, yeah, a whole lot going on. Um, abnormal in week one. Our shows always have to get bumped around, and this is an early start time for us, but we got it all in. I promised you would be off before LSU and Florida State started. Do me one favor. Whether you're watching live or whether you're listening on podcast, just make sure you're subscribed. We do this thing all year. We do it all spring, all summer. We never take time off. Uh, We think this is your college football headquarters, America's college football table, if you will. Plenty of chairs for everyone, free of charge. All we ask is like and subscribe. And that's it. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the start to your week. We'll be back here same time, actually a normal time, Tuesday night. So, a little exhausted, but fired up for the season to start. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Take care, have a great start to your week, and God bless.